This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets podcast. It's H-Town Hoops. Hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. All right, it is the H-Town Hoops podcast with Brandon Scott and Adam Spillane. Shout out to Austin Mendez on the other side, helping us out behind the scenes. Appreciate you, Austin. And it's been about a week since we got together, Adam. And for a team, I'll say this, man, for a team that is not winning a lot of games, I guess you could say in, in our little time span since we talked last, not really winning any games at all, and for a team that's not really playing really good basketball, it's been a little newsy over the last week or so. It's been there have been some headlines and some speculation on just, I guess, the future of the team and its development. And so that's where I actually want to start off, because there's been a conversation over the last couple of days since you asked Eric Gordon after a game at Toyota Center if they had seen or if he had seen the improvement from the Rockets from this young developing Rockets team that maybe he was expecting or maybe that the team was hoping for and his answer was quite simply that there hasn't been any improvement and so I want to ask you and you know as you know being in this business when we ask the questions we don't get to pick the answers but I'm going to turn it around now and ask you the question that essentially that you asked Eric Gordon, was Eric Gordon right? Has there been improvement? Can we're, and, and if so, where would you, where would you point it out? No, I, I don't think he is right. And, you know, this is a results, you know, oriented business. And you're going to look at win loss record. You're going to look at other numbers and you're going to see that they are very similar to what they were last year. But I still think that you are seeing some individual improvement with a lot of these guys. And this is what development is. Development is just a long, arduous slog. It's not just, boom, you wake up one day and all of a sudden you're an all-star. No, it doesn't work like that. It's incremental. It's daily. And you've got to stick with it. And there are going to be good days and there are going to be bad days. And a lot of times the bad days are going to outweigh the good days. And the bad days are the ones that really become more frustrating, just like Saturday against the Knicks was for Eric Gordon, where they turned the ball over 25 times. So, no, I I think because you look, the turnovers were actually – pretty good up until that. I mean, I, I know they were last in the league in turnover in turnover rate, but they had gone through a pretty decent stretch of not turning the, ba- the basketball over. And then all of a sudden the last three quarters of the Knicks, it went completely the other way. But then you look uh, on Monday against Dallas and they commit a season low 10 turnovers. So a lot of times 
the way that you feel like the team is doing in terms of improvement, it's based on that one night. And I think that that's what Gordon was frustrated with more than anything else was just how poorly they played in that game against the Knicks. Yeah, I, I think there's something to the, the ebb and flow of development or the ebb and flow of improvement throughout a long season. Baseball and basketball are like this where the seasons are so long where you're going to go through stretches and you're going to go through periods of time where it seems like you're struggling more so than others or where you are struggling more so than others. And I think that the timing of your question to him fit along with sort of what the narrative became after that or what his answer was to that was like, no, there's no improvement because he was basing that off of, I think the moment. And, and honestly, I would go somewhere in between. Like, I don't think he's right in saying that there is no improvement, but I would say that the the improvement that we've seen has been somewhat incremental and probably not good enough to the point of, you know, what is the, what is the major difference between like no improvement and incremental improvement? And, and he's a guy who's not going to be on this team very much for much longer. I assume anyway, that by the time the trade deadline hits, he will have been traded. Um, and, and he's got to be somebody that's frustrated given the amount of time that he's been in the league and the amount of time that he's been on this team, the success that he's been a part of with this team to be here now, especially for a third straight season since everything sort of imploded with the James Harden era, it's got to be getting to him at some point. It's got to be frustrating, but the Rockets have not, I'm not going to say that they haven't shown it because I would agree with you. They have shown improvement, but they've been, they've been pretty bad lately. I mean, over their last 10 games, they have the worst net rating in basketball. Now that shouldn't be super surprising. I don't think that they would go a stretch where they'd have the worst net rating in basketball, given that they're one of the younger and not as good teams in the league, but they're 27 for the season, same record as this time last year. It just seems like the improvement that they wanted to see or that they were expecting to see hasn't quite materialized in the way that they wanted to see it just yet. I think you look at it this way. They started the year two and 12 and then they went eight and 12. I think their next 20 games after that. And now you're going through this stretch also. So I think, Early in the year, it was rough. Schedule was was really, really rough. A lot of road games, a lot of good teams on the schedule. Things got better during that, that middle 20 games, and now they're going through another rough patch. That's going to happen. And here's a question I'll ask you, because we were at, we were talking about this before the game yesterday. Are the Rockets better today than they were this time last year? Yes. You think so? See, now here's, here's the, the position that I'll take on that. The Rockets are a lot younger now than they were this time last year because you t- Jay Sean Tate has basically not played the entire season and then Christian Wood isn't around and so to me and Gordon hasn't been as good so that's the other thing is that Gordon's played at a lower level you take Wood off the roster and you take Tate basically out of the equation for everything except for three games so I think you can make an argument that they are a worse basketball team just because they are so much younger and they are relying on younger players than they were at this time last year. So I don't think that it should be surprising that they're going through a stretch like this just because of how young this group actually is. And so I I don't think that anybody can be surprised. I still think they're on pace to win, what, 24, 25 games, something like that. I think that if you would have asked them before the season, they would say, yeah, we're probably a 24, 25 win team. Maybe people outside the organization would have thought differently because you just assume you're going to get linear development from all these guys. And you saw how they developed 
from day one last year to day 82 last year. And you just figure, well, they'll just pick up from there and they'll make that same sort of leap. And it doesn't really work that way. So you're seeing growing pains. You are seeing guys who maybe haven't taken the step that maybe you thought. We're going to talk about Jalen Green here in a few minutes. I don't think that he has played better uh, over the course of the season. I think that there are, it feels like there are times where he's taken step backs. But I do think that you look at Kevin Porter Jr. and he's having a nice stretch where he's playing a really good basketball. Um, that's going to happen. They're not shooting the ball well at all. They are a lousy three-point shooting team. They actually aren't taking as many threes as you would have thought. And Jabari Smith is a guy who takes a lot of threes, and he's not making them right now. So I, to me, this is kind of what I would have expected coming into the year. I know when you actually see it come into fruition, it doesn't look great. It looks really bad at times. But this is none of this is really surprising to me. Yeah, I, I guess the reason why I view them as a better team now than last year is because of those players that have been added that hopefully are developed at some point or the ones that they hope develop into something. You just mentioned Jabari Smith as somebody who, I guess in my mind when you ask that question, that's someone who I project to eventually be a much better player than Christian Wood. But when I think about it, and it doesn't take much thought to to come to this conclusion. He's not a better player than him right now today. So that part of it is fair. So I, I think that to re-answer your question, I think that they are in better position. They have repositioned themselves to be a better team eventually based off of the talent that they've accumulated since a year ago. But yeah, you're probably right. The minus Christian Wood, minus Jason Tate, um, I know John Wall didn't play a, a single minute for him last year, but he was at least on the team. They don't have, I mean, a month and a half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, they, they are, but I mean, what are, what are we comparing here anyway? You know, two teams that just quite frankly, uh, whether it be last year or this year have not been very good or, or was not very good and continues to not be very good. And to that point, I want to ask you about the head coach. Steven Silas. We've had a number of discussions about Silas on this podcast since we started doing it. Some of it positive, some of it negative, a lot of it negative, I would say, uh, or but I would say much more negative um, in the in the Rockets Twitter and Internet streets. But the reality of it, at least from my vantage point, is that this does seem to be a team that plays with a lack of discipline and a lack of focus either when I'm there or when I'm just watching you guys from your post-game press conference or any press conferences that you guys do with the Rockets, it feels like focus and maybe discipline is not the exact word, but it feels like that's what we're getting at a lot of times. Focus and discipline is far too frequently lacking. And I understand that it's a young team and that's something that perhaps you could expect or should expect with a young team to sort of have these lapses in focus and to maybe not be the most disciplined team out there. Maybe that's even part of the frustration for Eric Gordon that we were just talking about moments ago. But, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that is at the heart of the lack of improvement or stagnation, however you want to characterize what the Rockets are right now. And so to that point, how much longer – well, first of all, I would say how much would you put – how much of this would you put on Silas, and given that, how much longer would you expect Steven, Steven Silas to be able to keep this job? So I, I definitely think some of it falls on the head coach. But also the same thing can be said. A lot of it falls on the players. And then a lot of it falls on the people who built the roster. So I think there's plenty of blame to pass around when you have a team that is 
what are they now? 10 in 27, something like that. I, I might be a little off on that. They're, the record obviously isn't very good, but there's a lot of blame to go around is, I guess is the point. And you're going to, they're losing a lot of games. I mean, are they, they are in position to win some of these games, some of these games, they are not in position to win. It feels like at times they are prepared. It feels like at times they are not prepared to play. So I personally, I don't know. I, I think it's really hard for me to judge how much of it is on the shoulders of this guy, how much blame falls on the shoulders of that guy, just because you're not there. And so I, I don't, for me, it's really hard to make that sort of a judgment. Now, how much longer does he keep his job? I have no feel for that. Um, it feels like at some point it's going to end just because he doesn't have a contract for next year and someone's going to be the fall guy. And they could, they, and, and I've said this before, they knew what the season was going to be. They knew they were going to be bad. They knew they were going to lose a lot of games. But to me, at some point, somebody's probably going to have to take a hit. And Silas, again, is the guy who does not have a contract for next season. So it's kind of easy. I mean, that's the easy decision. You can't fire the players. The GM has uh, job security. The head coach does not. Therefore, it's usually the head coach that takes the hit. Does, but here's the question that I have. If they fire Silas tomorrow, does that change anything? How much actually gets changed by firing the head coach? Because to me... Same players, same front office. It's just a different guy calling the timeouts. So how much actually does change? Because in also, whoever takes over, you're looking at, what, 69-year-old John Lucas or 69-year-old Lionel Hollins. So who, what, what environment is going to be better to develop these players? Is it going to be Silas or would it be Lucas or Hollins? I, I can't answer that question. Yeah, well, I th I think that the change, I don't know if there is a, I can't say for sure that there would be a tangible change that would like make a difference, you know, that would make anyone happy per se. But it, it, it would make the fans be, feel happy for like three or four days and then nothing would change. And then yeah. they would be back to let's just fire Lucas or fire Holland or whoever else. Yeah, I, I definitely don't feel like you need to make an in-season coaching change to make the fans happy. So hopefully they don't even consider that. And I'm pretty sure that they wouldn't. Uh, but I do feel like what so what it would accomplish or what it might aim to accomplish is to hold someone accountable if they feel like, OK, if management feels like the, the lack of improvement or minimal improvement, minimal steps that have been taken somebody needs to be held accountable for that. And you mentioned you made a good, uh, you had a good word for it, call it a, a fall guy. Yeah, somebody, like somebody has to answer for what you see. I think, I think in any sport, you go long enough being this bad that eventually it comes, it becomes hard to justify anyone's position or perhaps everyone's position on the team. And like you said, can't fire the players the gm has job security but the way that they're playing right now and even like and again we'll talk about jalen green pretty soon but like a, the way that a lot of a lot of what we're seeing is 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 playing out right now you i feel like you can justify demoting or getting rid of anyone you know at, at that point obviously you wouldn't get rid of your franchise players that you just drafted and all of that but Sitting them in certain moments. We've talked about that in previous podcasts where they didn't give you the proper maximum effort that you were looking for, that you would expect from a player of that caliber and nothing like nothing happened. Like at some point, accountability has to stand for something and uh, uh, amount to something. And I'm not really sure how they do that. Now, 
again, firing Silas and promoting a 69-year-old Hollins or Lucas doesn't really do anything for you in the long term. And I'm not sure, like, the development of these young players, like, there's a benefit there to the development of the young players. But I do feel like, at the very least, it shows them all what accountability looks like. You know, like, they all know that, you know, their situation is not Silas's, but to just kind of see in real time in the NBA what it looks like when you don't get it done, that you can get your coach fired, you know, that you can derail whatever good vibes of the season that you were having, you know. Um, so, so I think that maybe that's what it would be. And, you know, maybe it's uh, also an element of ripping the Band-Aid off before, you know, but ripping the Band-Aid off for something that seems like it's going to be inevitable anyway. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Um, is that making the wrong guy the fall guy though? So it's yeah. just like, hey, you know, someone's you guys are you guys have been terrible. So this guy's going to take the hit for it. I mean, what, what I don't know if that sends the right kind of message that you want to send. But to me, the only thing that should matter is who helps us develop our players better. Is it with Silas as the head coach? Because if it is, and you just leave him in that job the rest of the year. If it's somebody else, okay, then you make a move. But to me, I don't know if making John Lucas the head coach is going to help develop the players because, frankly, player development is kind of his thing. Now you make him the head coach, and now his attention is taken off of that. And, I mean, at what point do players just start to tune Lucas out? Because, let's be honest, Lucas is a yeller, and you can only yell so much. I mean, I was at – I posted the video. They they did some four-on-four today after practice and Lucas is just yelling the entire time. And at what point do professional basketball players, I don't care how old they are, how young they are, they're going to get tired of that. And so I don't know if that necessarily works as a head coach. I don't know if Lionel Hollins has any interest in wanting to be a head coach again. You know, he's almost 70 years old and I don't know if he wants to be the head coach of a team that's just going to lose a bunch of games. And so I don't know if that's the best environment for everybody. So you're in a weird spot. Um, it feels like a change is probably inevitable. I don't know when that change would be made. Again, doesn't have a contract for next year. And the fact that they did not pick up the option, that they have not picked up the option at this point, kind of tells you all you need to know about what Silas's future stands at, at this point. But I just don't know if making a move in season makes a whole lot of sense or changes anything and makes the situation any better. Yeah, I, I don't know if it changes a lot of things or makes the situation any better. I could see it making sense, again, from a standpoint of, and when I talked about accountability, not just holding the players accountable, but in some ways, even maybe this is what's happening by them not renewing this kind or not picking up the option and not, you know, extending them and, and all these other options that they would have had if they believed in Silas long term, but also holding accountable the first topic that we had, the the improvement. I know you said that, you didn't necessarily agree with Eric Gordon's assertion that there has been no improvement, but I, I do feel like there has not been enough improvement, you know, and, and that in and of itself is probably why we are where we are with Silas and him not, you know, getting a new contract. And that would be the thing that would make much, the most sense to me if they were to make a move. But to your point though, certainly can make a good argument. And I think you have for it being like, you know, sort of like a distinction without a difference like it's still going to be the same old prop more than likely the same old story the same old show that you've been seeing and 
And I would actually be concerned. I, I like your point about Lucas. I would be concerned about Lucas or Highlands, maybe in a more old school, tougher type. How like well, how would that weigh on this younger group that like I'm not trying to say that they're fragile or anything, but to go from I mean, that that's quite the tempo and quite the, the switch, I would say, to go from sort of the even killed Silas to the you know john lucas who maybe that's fine if he's substituting for a day or two but if he's going to be yelling like that for the remainder of the season and that's the type of energy that you're getting i could see how that might wear on some younger players so so i guess they'd have to think about all of that and and again i made the point of just ripping the band-aid off maybe there's no need to do that given that it's a team it's a team headed nowhere okay so it's not a team that like hey we got to do this so we salvage the rest of the season. You're not doing that. So there's a case against it right there of just like, to what, and I think this is what you were saying, like to what end, you know, to what are you ultimately accomplishing other than making a statement and sort of just doing, showing some type of outward, um, outward accountability as opposed to like really making an impact on the team. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So let's talk about the shooting because you mentioned that, earlier as well one of the worst three-point shooting teams in basketball if not the worst but i know they're they're close to it pretty bad pretty damn bad and they cannot score at the end of games like they can't execute an offense at the end and that might be one of the more frustrating things about watching them is how they can be in a game or even in the games where they are competitive for a stretch it feels like at the end the the offense just sort of collapses. They have I saw this. Uh, I think it was Jonathan Fagan who mentioned it in an article, but uh, and I looked this up. They have the league's top rated defense in clutch situations, but they rank last offensively in games with a margin of five points or less in the final five minutes. So, like, what is with that? Why do you think that is? Is it just because they can't shoot? That's part of it. It's also that teams lock down in the last five minutes of a close game and they just aren't good enough at getting the shots that they want. And I do think that they're a team that's, again, they are, they're a very young team. And so it's about execution in crunch time and they just don't know how to execute at this point. I think it's really that simple where um, teams are going to pick up their level uh, on that end, on, on the defensive end of the floor. And if you don't execute your stuff, then it's going to be really hard to score. And they don't have the shooting to make up for a lack of execution. And I do think one of the things that that does hurt is that they'll take Alperin and Shingun off the floor for defensive purposes. And you just t- said they are a terrific defensive team in the last five minutes of the game. Part of that is having Usman Garuba on the floor during those stretches. But at the same time, you weaken your offense when you do it that way. So uh, I think that that's you know, one of the tough aspects, and that's the trade-off that you have to make. So I, I do the shooting, obviously, it has not been good. They've ha- they have opportunities. I do think that you have your they're a young team. I do think that they can sometimes get a little tired at the end of games. I think that Jabari Smith mentioned that last night because he had a, a really clean look from three, a uh, pull up three that that he had an opportunity to I believe tie the game uh, in the final minute of last night's game and he missed it. And I think that part of that could have just been the minute slow that he had to play, having to spend all that time defending Luka Doncic, and you know you're gonna t- you're gonna get tired during that stretch, and that's gonna make the shots a little tougher to fall. What about Jalen Green? Jalen Green 
and I was looking this up before we recorded, before we started the show. In the last 18 games, Jalen Green has made 10 shots or more just twice. That was the Milwaukee game at home that the when they beat the Bucks at home, one of their better games of the season, probably one of their top three or four or five games of the season. And the road lost to Boston. And even then, he was only 3 of 11 from 3. Now, obviously, um, he had a good shoot. And I want to say he was 50% from the field. So, obviously, he did a good job of making his twos. But what what would you say about the shooting struggles? We've talked about this in previous episodes as well of, you know, how, uh, I mean, I made the note of how his his form and his mechanics on his, on his shot have seemed to have, relegated back to what it was his rookie year when John Lucas was working with him on that, trying to get his his, uh, his shot a little higher um, or at least his release point a little bit higher. Um, he needed to get stronger back then. It feels like he has gotten stronger, but the shot is just inconsistent and erratic. And, you know, I felt like there was a point where, and I still feel like this for the most part, where it does feel like he's taking better shots. He's more decisive in picking his spots and just overall as an offensive player, he looks better out there, but the numbers are just not pretty. And it, it feels like it's a, it's a either a constant struggle or just a level of inconsistency there. What are you seeing from him? You know, they're actually not that far off from last year. You know, last year he shot 42.6% from the field. This year he's 41.4, so that's what, 1.2 percentage points off. Three-point shooting, 34% to 32.7%. Again, not that far off. So I don't know exactly what it is. I'm not a shot doctor. I I do know that, you know, he talked uh, maybe a week or two ago that he thought his shot had gotten flat, and that was something that he had been working on uh, with John Lucas in the gym uh, really basically every single morning. And they were in the gym, you know, early uh for a lot of last season but it's just been i think hard sometimes to work on this stuff because of just the way the schedule has been where they've had very little practice time like we're doing this on tuesday january 3rd they practice for the first time in over a week i want to say uh today so there just hasn't been a lot of practice time you know you have some gym time here and there but you want to save the good stuff for the actual game so just haven't had a lot of time to really work on stuff Uh, So the shooting stuff doesn't necessarily concern me. The, you know, you bring up field goal makes, you know, some of that is he's getting to the free throw line a lot more. So you're not making shots a lot of times when you're getting to the free throw line. Uh, And he is taking more free throws this year than he did last year. I mean, he's almost doubled his free throw attempts. He was three and a half last year. He's six this year. So I think that's big on the positive side of things. I feel like the three point stroke will come back. And I think that's the big thing for him right now is just get that shot back working again and get the confidence back because I do think that he's lost a little bit of confidence in that shot right now. So I don't think any of it's a real big concern. I I think the stuff that has worried me more about Jalen Green over this stretch is just defensively and then just, you know, some of his on-court habits where he's not getting back defensively. You know, we haven't talked – we didn't talk about the Dallas game from Thursday, but, you know, giving up 25 fast-break points against a team that uh, averages the fewest amount of fast-break points in the entire NBA – a lot of that's on Jalen Green. And so he's got to do a better job of getting back. There was one clip I saw that somebody posted of, of him basically giving up on a play three different times. I mean, that's the sort of stuff that would have me a little bit more worried than some of the shooting stuff, which can be a, a high variance stat. Yeah, well, I mean, I would be worried about all of it. I mean, because he's, for one thing, 
the shooting stuff would worry me or worries me for now and, and not long term, but just in the moment, because if there's anything he should be doing well or like what his calling card is, is is scoring like he's a guy who we've talked about ever since he was, you know, getting going into the draft as someone who could potentially lead the league and score. He could be a, a scoring champion at some point in this league like he's got that in him. You can see that that talent is there. So I would be str- I would be worried about that. Uh, at least in in the short term, that it's not quite looking like, you know, like the the, I mean, he looks like the athlete and sort of the, you know, like he's got the, the makeup, overall or the profile of somebody that should be that eventually. But the, I mean, if there's anything that you would expect him to do well, it would be to score the basketball, and you would expect him to be a more efficient scorer. But to this point that you made, I think is is a good one, and and I would say is worth being even more concerned about. It's like he's not really playing hard all the time, or he's not really giving maximum effort all the time. And I know it's a long season, and you're not going to have guys giving maximum effort all the time. But I mean, you can't have videos out like the one that you're talking about, and I saw it too, where he quits on a play defensively three seemingly three different times um you're talking about how he doesn't get back on defense a lot transition defense like that would be would you say that it is concerning when you're a star player for for, at least for now the best player on your team and the guy who projects to be I, I would say the best player on your team of the future whenever you do get good again that's that's somebody that right now or at least in the very beginning you've got you've got some effort concerns about like does it does it feel like he doesn't play hard sometimes? Yeah, I mean it certainly does, and I don't think that that makes him any different than any other player. To be honest with you, I think that happens over the course of, of a really long season. But when you're struggling to make shots, then you got to make up for it in other ways. And playing hard is one way where you can make up for it. It just makes life a whole lot easier on your teammates when you do that. So you know you can compensate when you're not making shots, and I don't think he's doing that right now. I. I you know, I'm not again. The shooting stuff doesn't necessarily bother me. I, I still think that he's putting himself in position to score the basketball. He's getting to the rim. He's getting to the foul line. He is not making jump shots, which happens sometimes. So that that stuff isn't concerning. It's more the on court habits, the body language. That's the stuff that would have me pause with him right now. All right. So in an earlier podcast, can't remember if it was the last episode or the one before that, but I asked you the question and we had the discussion of, should it even matter? Should it even matter that Kevin Porter Jr. does not play or look like, you know, through his play does not look like a traditional point guard year two of being a full-time point guard. It's not exactly looking like, you know, necessarily smooth per se. And I, and I've said for a while that, you know, I thought, you know, Kevin Porter Jr. to me was being misused as a point guard. I thought he was a wing player all along, get somebody else to play point guard and let Kevin Porter Jr. get buckets. Now, the way the team is currently constructed and, you know, after these last couple of drafts with Jalen Green there, you know, that's probably the guy that should be in that role that I was sort of envisioning for Kevin Porter Jr. when he first got here. Now, I want to ask you, are you sold on Kevin Porter Jr. as point guard? I asked the question before whether it matters. I guess it does matter since that's that's where they're playing him. That's how they're playing him. 
And I did see the report. I don't even know if it was a, a report. It was actually just mentioned on Zach Lowe's podcast um, by Tim McMahon, who covers the NBA and is obviously based here in Texas, um, mentioning that he doesn't feel like the he doesn't believe the team, the organization is 100 percent sold on Kevin Porter Jr. as a point guard or as an NBA, as a starting NBA point guard or however it was worded. Um, where are you with that? Do you do you do you buy that? And is there any reason to be concerned about how they are utilizing Kevin Porter Jr. right now? I think what McMahon said was the only people who are who believe in him as a starting point guard is the Rockets front office. Okay, so the opposite. So the opposite. Yeah. um, Do I think that he's a point guard? I think he can play point guard. Do I think he should be the primary ball handler on a high level team? The answer is probably not. It it reminds you a lot. Remember when uh, Victor Oladipo first came into the league with Orlando and they tried to make him a point guard and it just didn't work. Um, I, I do think that. Kevin Porter Jr. is a guy who can handle that. And I do think that he he's a little inconsistent. And, you know, some of that is effort. Some of that is focus. Um, some of that is turnovers. But the turnovers, you know, he's averaging more turnovers this year than he did last year, which is a problem. Um, but he's brought that down over the last 10 or so games, I think. So that's a step. Actually, it's the last one to seven games. He's brought that down. He's gotten that number to below three over the last seven games. Again, it's not great. But it's a step. It's a step in the right direction. And remember last year, he started out the year really bad in that department. And then he improved as the year went along. So do I think that, and I think we talked about this the last time. I don't know if it's necessarily, should he be, I don't think, you know, is he a point guard is the right discussion. It's more of, should he be the guy who leads your team in touches? And I don't think he is. I don't think he's that type of a guy. I do think that he's a guy who can certainly play and be a rotation player on a really good team. I think that there are some teams where he could be a starter. But I do think that they probably don't have him in his right role, at least right now. And again, he's getting better and he's learning. And the fact that you are seeing, I think he's the one guy that you can say that you've seen some growth from him. But he does a lot of things well off the ball. He's probably their best. I think he was, what, the third best uh, in the NBA last year in catch and shoot threes. So giving him an opportunity to put him in a position for those, I think, is positive. He is a good passer. He's a very good passer. I think that's a big reason why the Rockets thought that he could play that position. And I remember Rafael Stone saying that he called him an elite passer um, not long after they got him. So he's he's got really good size for that position. He can defend. You know, he's not a great defender, but he at least tries hard and he can be physical. I mean, you saw, you know, last night they're starting him out on Luka Doncic. I mean, they feel confident enough in him to be able to, you know, handle that physically. So I, I do think that there there are signs that he can do it, but I don't think that having him as your lead ball handler is the best utilization of him. Yeah, but and and then to me it feels like. Or, and you tell me what you think is more of a conflict, like having him as your lead ball handler or like, I, I don't know if it's too much of a demotion to say, hey, go from being our lead ball handler to being our second off ball option, you know, or, you know, because Jalen Green's not going to they're not going to make him a point guard. So then it's like he goes from not just you know, from the one to the three position wise, I know it's a kind of a positionless game now, but he goes from like primary uh, ball handler and, and leading the team in touches to kind of taking a back seat on the wing from, you know, what essentially amounts to the future of the franchise and Jalen green. So like, I don't, I don't know how much that's, that's even a thought, but I, I know I think about it like, okay, 
now that they've done the point guard thing, you know, for an entire season, you know, at the end of the, his first season here. And, and, you know, I guess now going on almost two full seasons, it will be after this year. Like, how do you go back? How do you go backward? You know, how do you, how do you demote a guy who you've elevated to, you know, I know the team's not very good, but elevated at this level within this context, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if that's a, if that's toothpaste you can put back in the tube or you can put that genie back in the bottle, so to speak. Well, I mean, the thing is right now they got to have somebody better and they don't have anybody, they don't have anyone better on the roster who can be a primary ball handler at this point. And I think maybe Jalen green could carry that load at some point. I don't think he's ready for it now. I think that you've kind of seen that he's not quite there, not doesn't quite have the confidence just in, in the handle at this point in the playmaking ability, but you know, we'll see if maybe he gets to that level. Who knows? They might sign a, a guy with the beard who can play point guard. And then maybe that shifts guys to other spots. So uh, I, I do, I do think there are options. We'll see what happens in the draft. You know, maybe if you wind up with, with Scoot Henderson, maybe he's running point for you. Maybe there's somebody else in free agency right now. He's got to be the point guard because there's nobody else who can play the position. You know, if we can cross this bridge in, you know, four or five months and see if maybe they're able to add somebody to the fold who might be better suited for that. But until that point, you just you, you got to live with it. You got to see maybe he gets better. Maybe you see it over this last half of the season where he where he really grows into the role and shows you that he yes, he can do this at a high level and he can do it consistently at a high level. So there's they're certainly giving him every opportunity to get there. I just don't know if it'll ever happen. Yeah, they draft Scoot Henderson and that fixes the that answers the answer or that answers the question at point guard, I should say. That sort of just fixes that. And knock on wood, they they end up with Victor Wimbanyana. I'm not sure if it matters at all who's the point guard. Somebody just need to get that ball across the court or or you know, just get it to where he wants it and get it to that guy cuz he is an anomaly. He is um he is unlike anything that I've ever seen. So perhaps better days are ahead for the Rockets either way, whether they get, you know, and, and it's no guarantee that they get either of those guys. But if they get either one of them, I feel 20%. like that, that fixes a lot of the problems. That fixes a lot of the problems that that we're discussing and that, we'll, that we will be discussing throughout the rest of the season on this podcast, on the H-Town Who's podcast covering the Rockets. Now, in future episodes – um, possibly later on this week, we'll talk about it offline, but in future episodes, as we've talked about before, we're going to do some deep dives into the rookies and do some synopsis of just where we are at this point of the season, kind of just do a diagnosis of where the Rockets are. So certainly looking forward to that as you see there, and you might, you guys might hear this by the time, uh, by the time some of these games are played, but the rest of the week you've got, the Pelicans uh, on Wednesday, Zion Williamson was just ruled out. It looks like he's going to be out for a little while, certainly out Wednesday against the Rockets, but he might be out for a significant stretch with, I believe it was a hamstring strain is what I saw, yes. uh, some, some type of hamstring injury. And then, so this is, this is going to be a back-to-back Pelicans on Wednesday, the hated Utah Jazz on Thursday. So look forward to that. And, you know, we'll be getting – further into diagnosing exactly where this Rockets team is, development, non-development, improvement, non-improvement, incremental improvement, however and whatever the case may be. So looking forward to that. Appreciate Austin Mendez on the other side, uh, doing everything behind the scenes, producing this bad boy. And for Adam Spillane, Brandon Scott, 
This has been the H-Town Hoops Podcast. Make sure you like, rate, review, subscribe. Anything that you're prompted to do positively about the podcast, we implore you to do and uh, tell your people about it and make sure we can grow that audience. And until next time, y'all be good. Thank <laughs> you.